With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer Susan Slusser, and our guests today are A's fifth starter Aaron Brooks, who joins us to talk about his return to the organization and his strong shutout work against Boston this week. And then Boston Globe Red Sox beat writer Pete Abraham tells us about what it was like covering the team last fall, the Red Sox outlook for this year, and why they struggle against the A's. All next on A's Plus. Hello, today our guest on A's Plus is Aaron Brooks, the A's number five starter, coming off a really nice outing against Boston. Aaron, first of all, um, what was really working for you in that uh, game against the Red Sox? Uh, I think for the most part, sinker slider. Um, I was trying to get ahead with any pitch that I could, uh, throw everything for strikes. But um, for the most part, I think the sinker slider combination was really, really working for me. The rest of the rotation has this this entire homestand really been working on all cylinders, throwing fast games, getting in good rhythm, not giving up, I mean, basically giving up almost nothing. How much does that kind of help you going into a start against that? I mean, it, you're facing a great lineup, too. They're defending world champions, but you know the rest of your rotation has really been performing at, at the highest level possible, really. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, no doubt that's a great lineup. Um, I think... Um, the opening series against the Angels for the starters really set the tone and um, you know I was just trying to go out there and continue to repeat what they've been doing and um, was able to do that and I think it's it's gonna it's it should be a year-round thing we're you know we're here to to win some ball games and I think um, you know I think we're gonna start making that statement here soon can that be contagious when a rotation gets on a roll I think subconsciously kind of yeah I mean confidence is big in this game and uh, you know, if, if one guy goes out and does it, we all want to go out and do it. And uh, so, yeah, I think I think it definitely sets a tone for everyone else. What kind of challenges in particular does Boston present with that lineup and with the, the kind of confidence they have? Any, anybody in that lineup that you look at and go like, mm, I'm going to have to be careful there or sort of a plan of attack? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think pretty much one through nine in that lineup, you got to be careful most pitches. Um, but I think for, for me, it was just trusting my stuff and, and kind of letting them you know, play the odds in baseball hitting, you get out more than you don't. So um, I kind of just tried to play those cards, let them get themselves out, and it ended up working out where I got ahead, got them to foul some stuff off, and then I can go to my pitches and try and do what I can to, you know, to keep them off balance and to get them out, and, um, and it worked. Now you were in a little bit of an unusual situation. When the A's go to Japan, you wind up staying back in Arizona and working out. What was that like for you, seeing the, the team leaving and having a couple regular season games and a fun trip and all of that, and, and you're back home kind of working? Uh, it was tough, you know. Um, obviously, I'd want to be with the team in Japan and experience that. Um, but, you know, they let me know that they had a plan for me and they wanted me to stay back and get some innings in so I can come out ready to go. And, and um, you know, at the end of the day, got to look at the long-term side of things, and I think it was best for me. What were you doing during that week? Uh, just staying on routine. Every five days I was um, throwing, 
you know, I, I think the first time out was like 65, and then the second time was like 75 or 80. So um, they stressed that I wasn't going to have any any time to do that in Japan, and so staying back and and just getting my pitch count up was probably best. Did you wind up watching the games or try to watch the games a little bit? I saw some highlights. It was obviously kind of tough at like four in the morning or something, but um, yeah, it's it, it was fun to see them, you know, in that environment. And uh, obviously, it didn't go as well as they planned, but um, I think the guys had a good time, and um, we came back here ready to go and wipe it off and and start over. Now, kind of working really far backwards, the A's reacquire you last year um, with about a month to go. What are your thoughts on coming back to an organization that you've you've been with before but you know as, as you it, September you wind up really not being able to contribute much they've got a rotation they've got kind of a plan so you just sort of sit what was that whole experience like uh, I think it was cool to be here with the the clubhouse and the environment um, you know as they're pushing for the playoffs and um, it was just neat to sit in on that um, they kind of explained that there really wasn't too much for me to do um, that last month but they were happy to have me happy to have me back and they wanted um, they wanted to hopefully have a plan for me this year, and it all worked out. Do you think that helped you at all, kind of getting yourself familiar with the organization again, learning the, you know, you, you knew a lot of the coaches, obviously, um, but not necessarily a lot of the players. And good team, too, that, that wind up, winds up going to the postseason. Is that kind of, you know, extra fun for you, kind of sitting there and learning the team, too? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, anything... Any situation like this coming in the spring training for me was uh, going to be a difficult one, and it definitely made it easier to kind of, you know, like you said, get to know everybody again and get my feet wet again just with all the guys here and um, kind of help me relax a little bit. Now, how did you approach the offseason? Obviously, as you're, as you're kind of going along, you're, you're seeing that they're keeping you on the roster. You're out of options. You know going into the spring they're going to have to make some sort of decision on you. So how do you kind of mentally uh, approach the spring knowing that that's the case? Uh, I just try to stay positive. Um, you know, hopefully if I go out there and take care of my business, everything else will fall into place. And I kind of, you know, just stayed with the normal routine in the off season that I have for a while now and and um, just kept my body strong and also rested and came in ready to go and, and win a spot in spring. And um, thankfully that's what happened. There's, they always say in spring, you know, uh, uh, results don't matter. But in the situation that you were in, the results probably did matter, at least to some extent. How do you balance that versus, you know, maybe working on some things? That's the one time of year you really can kind of work on some things in actual game situations. Uh, and just getting ready along with trying to get sort of at least enough results to see that, that you're the guy that they want in that spot. Yeah, um, it's always, spring training is always about, you know, getting your feet wet and getting everything back squared away. And I think for me it was coming in day one trying to be ready to go because I did need to win a spot. and. Uh, and having that confidence to be able to know that like they're giving me the ball to have the chance, um, whether it go good or bad, was you know a confidence booster in itself. Yeah, you and you wind up your your first outing is not so great during the spring. How do how do you kind of like look at that? And, and uh, there was another one that was rained out. That was it looked like the mound was probably a mess, and that didn't help you a lot. Yeah. How how do you kind of take those as you know that you know it, it's kind of all or nothing for you. I uh, just try to stay even keel, um, not get too low, not get too high. Um, we got a job every day we come in here and, and to, you know, to just continue to work and trust the process. Um, 
And you know, I, I was able to go out the second inning and put up zero and uh, move forward from there and, and learn from that and, and move forward. This is a, actually a little bit more of a veteran rotation than I think um, people were expecting. Do you, do you, do you kind of lean on some of the veterans? Who do you like pick their brains? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously Marco uh, and, and Mike are, have been around the game a lot. Brett Anderson has been around the game a lot. Um, you know, and me and Frankie have kind of tried to lean on all three of those guys to ask them questions, to get their opinions and feedback on certain situations and certain, certain ways to, to go about things. Um, so, I mean, really all three of them being given their, their uh, reputation has, has really helped us. That's awesome. Now, Frankie just wandered by a couple seconds ago and wanted us to talk about him. It seems like it's probably a, a pretty good topic since he, he looked outstanding and, and really did throughout the spring. Um, what have you thought of, of Frankie and what he's done with it? You know, it kind of like, looks like almost dominating stuff now. Yeah, no, I mean, he's going out there throwing strikes with all of his pitches, competing against everybody, which is every, you know, that's everything we need to do is go out there with uh, conviction. And uh, he's pounding the zone and, and trusting his stuff and he's having fun. And that's that's a big part of it. How much of a, of a different pitcher are you now than maybe you were the first time you were with Oakland? Uh, just different in mental. Uh, the mentality of the game is, is huge for me and um, you know, the confidence and the mentality to, uh, and the conviction to go out there and trust your stuff every day I think is, is huge for, for me. Is your stuff any different? Like, do you throw anything differently? Have you tweaked anything? What are you better at now? Uh, probably just late movement, late action. I got, you know, just the conviction behind pitches is really where you get your late movement and, and, and action and stuff like that. And, uh, and um, I throw the slider. I changed up the grip a little bit, so it's a little harder and sharper. Um, but for the most part, it's just, I think, the mental side of the game and trusting my ability. And personally, tell us about what's been going on with you personally because you, you're, you've now got a, a family, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I've got one kid about 15 months old he is now and uh, one on the way. So, so we're excited for that and, and looking forward to it. That's great. Aaron Brooks, thanks so much for joining us on A's Plus. Thanks for having me. Our thanks again to Aaron Brooks for his time today. We'll be back with Pete Abraham after this. We are back on A's Plus with longtime Boston Globe Red Sox beat writer Pete Abraham. Pete, first of all, you're going to have to tell our listeners what last fall was like um, going all the way through the World Series with the Red Sox. Well, you know, it was amazing, Susan, that it never really was a problem for them. They went 11-3, and only lost one game in every series, uh, one game's on the road. They beat the Yankees. Uh, they beat the Dodgers, two really cornerstone franchises in the big leagues. I was shocked uh, for a first-time manager in the playoffs to handle himself as well as Alex Cora did. There was never a bump. There was never a moment you thought they weren't going to win. And for me, it was amazing to see a rookie manager handle it as well as he did. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Cora's performance last year because, of course, he was up against Bob Melvin uh, for manager of the year. Bob well, Melvin winds up winning, I think, probably because of the A's lack of expectations and tiny little payroll. The Red Sox, even though it's first-year manager, big payroll. But, yeah, it was really an astonishing job he did. And he seemed like, uh, as you said, he handled himself just so beautifully. Yeah, and you know they had that long 18-inning game, and what he did after that game, kind of pulling the team together and, and talking about how great Nathan Avaldi pitched, even though he gave up the walk-off home run, that was really what spurred them to win the two games after that and wrap up the World Series. 
And that was a moment I, I thought, well, th this could go one of two ways. And if it goes the wrong way, he's going to have a lot of explaining to do. And, and it just went the right way. And to see a team with so many big personalities, so many guys getting paid a lot of money, such high expectations in Boston, there was never really a time during the season when you felt like things were going off the rails. And having covered the Red Sox for 10 years, that, that never happened before. Yeah. Is that is that make it is that easier for a beat writer or harder? Because sometimes when a team is that good, you kind of struggle finding story angles, right? There's like no dissension. There's nobody slumping. There's nobody you need to replace. Yeah, you know, there there are a few times I was kind of hoping there would be some controversy because there would be <laughs> something to write about, and it, it never really happened. Though the one the one thing we had was they let Hanley Ramirez go in May. And at the time, he, he wasn't playing very well, so fans were pretty happy about that, actually. So, yeah, we never had a time where there was anything that you felt like, well, I can really dig into this and, and make an issue out of it. And in Boston, that doesn't happen very often yeah, exactly. in all of our sports. Yeah, yeah. ho-hum, they're just good and yeah. like nothing, nothing else interesting going on. What, what stood out to you about the team itself? Why, why, why were they so good? Well, starting pitching, they had they had really good five starting pitchers. Once they got Nathan Avaldi, every time they ran somebody out there, it was a good solid pitcher, and that gave them a chance to win more often than not. Uh, the bullpen wasn't always great, but Craig Kimball was good at the in the back end uh, with the saves. He didn't pitch very well in the postseason, but at that point they had started using the extra starters as relievers, so it didn't make a difference. And the other part of it was Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts just had one of the best seasons I've ever seen a player have. Uh, to, for somebody to be the MVP ahead of Mike Trout, I think you've got to be outstanding. And, and he really was as a, as a fielder, as a base runner, as a hitter, as a team leader in a lot of ways. Uh, he really was, you know, going back to, uh, you know, the Red Sox have had all these great players. And, and Mookie, I think, had as good a season, you know, not Ted Williams, but certainly in the last 20, 25 years, as good a season as anybody. Now, what are your um, thoughts on this year's team? Obviously, a lot of expectations again. A little bit of different look in the, the bullpen, obviously, and a few other little changes, but mostly the same team. What, what do you think of this year's team? Yeah, it, you know, spring training was very strange because we knew from the start, unless somebody got hurt, we knew what the rotation was going to be. We knew exactly what the lineup was going to be, and we pretty much had a good idea of what the bench was going to be, which everything proved to be the case except for Steve Pierce, who was on the injured list, and he's coming back pretty quickly. The one question we had was the bullpen, and in the end, they just kept all the guys who were on the, in the bullpen last year and didn't really make any big additions. So to have, uh, I think the only player on the team, the 25 guys who wasn't there last year, was Colton Brewer, a guy they picked up from the Padres, kind of a nondescript righty reliever. So it was a, a very uneventful spring training from a roster standpoint because unless something weird happened, you kind of knew what the team was. Yeah, yeah. That's again, they're not giving you a lot to write about. No, it's you know <laughs> we we spent a lot of time talking about whether Dustin Pedroia can come back. That's our big topic. And <laughs> it looks like it could be sometime during the homestand, and uh, you know all spring training it was like, when's Dustin going to play? And, and that was really all we had to look for. So I, I had to get my future writing chops during <laughs> spring training because for the first time in a while. Uh, now the the A's played Boston very tough last year. That so far in this series this week, uh, the A's look like they're playing Boston really tough again. Uh, what from the Red Sox side? What what do they make of this A's team, which which has been so tough against them? Well, they're very impressed with the bullpen and the guys who throw hard in the bullpen. The matchups that Bob Melvin is able to create in the bullpen, that's something that's given them gave them problems last year, gave them problems this year. And Alex Cora talks with a lot of envy, I think, about their bullpen and. The A's, for whatever reason, even some of the good, really good Red Sox teams, 2013 when they won the World Series, other teams when they won the division, they've always come to Oakland and had problems. And I don't know if that's uh, because of the you know the length of the road trip, the late night games for the Sox, whatever it is, but they've, they've never really played well here. Going back, it's probably five, six years now. Yeah, yeah, it's true. They have had their number a little bit here. Certainly here, not always in Fenway, but um, Fenway, they, the A's played 
played tough there too. Now I have to ask you about Ramon Laureano and uh, you know the show he's putting on so far in this series. He's thrown out Xander Bogarts twice, and really it, it might have been three times had Marcus Simeon hold, held on to a throw. <laughs> What's been uh, the take in the Red Sox clubhouse on Ramon Laureano's arm, and if they'll they'll ever run again? Yeah, I think it's fair to say Xander Bogarts isn't going to challenge him anymore. And, and this really reminds me of when Jackie Bradley Jr. got called up and he had a whole bunch of assists in the first couple months of his career. And then it stopped because teams just stopped running on him. And there were even times there were balls in the gap and you thought, well, for sure, somebody's going to take second base. And they didn't because the scouting report was out there that don't run on Jackie Bradley. And he kind of said at one point, I remember a few years ago, that he regretted it because he never really got a chance to show off his arm. And I'm sure that's going to happen to Ramon. At some point, they're going to stop running on him. It's probably going to happen really soon after what he did with the Red Sox. So it's going to be um, not a challenge for him, but there's going to be times he's going to probably make some throws to, just because he hasn't had a chance to throw for a while. And Jackie had to kind of resist that sometimes. He would airmail throws because he was so excited about somebody running on him. And that he realized, like, you know, when it does happen, you have to be ready and not get too anxious. So it's going to be, it's kind of a weird thing when you're a good outfielder. You know, it, it, you're almost, you don't get a chance to show off what you can do because teams will just stop running on you. Uh, the, mentioning Bogarts, obviously a big extension this week. What, what were your uh, impressions of that and the, the fact that Boston was willing to, to go that far? Well, the, I think two things. Um, everybody likes him. He, he's an extremely likable kid. He's been in their organization for 10 years. They, they, like he was saying, it's been almost half his life. And the other part of it is they don't have anybody who's remotely a shortstop in their organization. And so if he were to go as leave them as a free agent, they were going to have to go out and get somebody. And for them, I think it just made good sense to keep him because – they, they looked at the roster, and this was one guy. They could probably go out and get a pitcher. They could probably go out and get a DH. There's different spots they could fill, but they didn't have a shortstop. And what was interesting was he's a Scott Boris client, and Scott Boris likes his guys to go into the market and find their worth. And it really took Xander saying to Scott Boris, like, I want to stay here, make a deal. And they did it right around opening day, day before. And Dave Dombrowski and Xander wanted to cut off negotiations once the season started, and they literally made the deal on opening day and announced it the next day. And it really came down to Xander saying, I want to stay here. Uh, I think this is the best situation for me. You know, Scott, go out there and, and make a deal. And in talking to Scott Boris, you know, he said, this is not something I normally do. But when a guy says to me, this is my family, this is where I want to stay, that's my job, to make a deal. Yeah, well, that's great. I, I, you know, I, he's got Matt Chapman also. Same thing. I think so far the signals from the Boris camp have been like, yeah, we'd rather see him go out on the free agent market when he's right in his prime. Uh, rather than signing away some of his free agent years, and and uh, we'll probably do that. So maybe maybe some other guys will take a look at what Bogarts did and say, hey, get the money now and and stay where you like if if you like it. That that will be interesting. Uh, now over uh, spring training, we lost our very close friend Nick Cafardo, your coworker. Um, I think all of baseball has been mourning, but particularly the baseball writing community. Um, you worked with Nick for what a dozen years at the Globe, more yeah, more than ten yeah. years at the Globe. Um, what what has this year been like for you so far without Nick, who we all miss so much? Well, it, spring training was was very strange because we stayed together in spring training at the same condo we have for a long time. And um, we had a good time. You know, we, we both like where the Red Sox have spring training in Fort Myers, Florida. We're there the whole time. Uh, we talk about what stories we're going to write, divide up the coverage of the team. And to not have him around was, was really strange. And this was the guy who helped me get my job at the Globe. I had given up on the idea of working at the Globe. And he approached me one time when I was in New York and said, you know, we have a job open. I think you'd be great for it. And I said, well, the, the, you know, the, I've tried that and it's not going to happen. And he said, well, you know, try it again. And next thing you know, I'm working at the Globe, which was my dream from when I was a kid you know I'm from Massachusetts so 
uh, he made that happen to me for me and you know I get to be closer to my parents and closer to my nieces and nephews and everything else so um, what was really hard about it was you know there was no time to prepare for it you know he he suddenly you know suddenly passed away um, and it was just such a shock and the um, one thing about newspapers you know it comes out every day and, and there was really no time to mourn we had to continue to cover the team and all I kept thinking during the time was you know Nick would want us to keep covering the team. He, it, it, the Globe was important to him. He had worked there for more than 30 years. Um, he would have been disappointed in us if we hadn't kept covering the team. So we did uh, with a very heavy heart. We had a lot of other people come down and fill in for, you know, we joked that it took four people to kind of do the job Nick did. We had to keep sending people down. And they were getting tired out after a couple of weeks. And, and we were saying, well, Nick's here the whole time, so you better keep going. And I, I started to kind of recover at the end of spring training, and then opening day, it really hit me hard because uh, opening day is such a big day in baseball, and you're, you're happy for the season to be starting. I think everybody even dresses a little nicer on opening day. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, sitting there in Seattle, and he wasn't sitting next to me. And it, it was the first time, you know, opening day really ever for me uh, since I got here that he wasn't sitting next to me. And, and I, I had a hard day. It was, it was strange. And I kept wanting to turn and ask him something or you know talk about what was going on in the game and and not having him there to do that was very weird and it's going to be weird all year um my, my columnist our columnist Dan Shaughnessy has been been really great other people at the globe have been great everywhere we go people say nice things about Nick the, the A's were among the teams that left flowers at a seat for him and um it, it's all been really nice and the only thing like I you know I kind of regret is I, I wish Nick knew I'm sure he did but I wish you know there was a way that he would know how much everybody cared about him and, and how much people miss him yeah I've I can't recall an outpouring of love uh, and support really for a writer um, in, in my entire time covering baseball I think it shows exactly how special Nick was and I know we're all going to miss him so much I can't even imagine going to Fenway and uh, next month and and him not being there so um, we've all felt for you and your colleagues and and really everybody on the the Red Sox beat but yeah everybody I'm sure everybody knows how much Nick was loved well, you know, it's funny in our business, Susan, as you know, everybody's got somebody they don't get along with. You know, there, there's a rival with another writer or there's a player or an executive, somebody you've had an issue with over the years. And maybe you'd only have like a nodding acquaintance or a grudging acquaintance. There was nobody like that with Nick. And he got along with everybody. And even if somebody disagreed with what he wrote, he would like make a little joke and it would be forgotten the next day. And, and the Red Sox have had a lot of things go on. We've had a lot of managers. We've had a lot of general managers. We've had things happen. And the kind of the one common denominator was Nick figured out a way to get along with everybody, which is not something I've been able to do. Wow. So, um, that's inspiring. It, I've never yeah, done that. No, I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I know I can't. And it was funny to, for me, not funny, but it was touching for me to see whether it was general managers and managers and players, clubbies, trainers from not just the Red Sox, from all sorts of different teams. People saying to me, like, I was really sorry to hear about Nick. And I, I don't think that would have, would happen with all of us in our business. But, you know, this was a guy who, you know, from scouts, security guys at the ballpark, you know, just people who Nick was always kind to. And um, and this is going to sound corny, but I, I've tried to, at least so far I've managed to do it, you know, just try to be a little nicer and, and try to, you know, take every day and try to have a good attitude because I know that's what he did. Yeah, you know what? I think that's uh, that's also inspiring, and I think that's a good takeaway for for me and anybody listening to this podcast. Let's all for Nick Cafardo. Let's all just be a little kinder and and nicer to to each other. Uh, Pete Abraham, very very glad to have you on A's Plus. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. You can find Pete Abraham's work on BostonGlobe.com, and he's on Twitter at Pete Abe. Our producer today is Libby Coleman. We'll be back next week 
with more A's Plus from Baltimore. Thanks for listening. A's Plus is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter, at Susan Slusser. Support A's Plus and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe.